What is up, everyone? Welcome in to the Fight HQ Pre for UFC 289. Of course, I am Jason Foy. That is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. Here to break down this fight card for you. Here, uh, you know, me and Pete were kind of you know going back and forth for the show of what we like and. You know, look, uh, from a pay-per-view, this is not the kind of pay-per-view we've been getting out of the UFC for the you know a little bit of a while. I mean, obviously, there's been some changes that have happened with this one, but uh, I, I think we're all excited for the co-main event in terms of this one. So, Pete, man, how you doing, man? What's going on? What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for joining us. Um, another week of fights. A couple matchups to be interested about for the most part. Um, it's an okay card. Um, I, I like some names on the card, so obviously I'm, I'm a little intrigued to see how they perform. But, um, you know, it's definitely not the pay-per-view quality that we're accustomed to. But regardless, there's big prize money to be made over on DraftKings. And uh, we're going to do our best to try to get you guys to take down the tournament or take one down ourselves. That would be very nice. Of course, uh, the DK contest is already live for the Fight HQ. Because you can click that link right there in the description. Join the Fight HQ contest. Top three uh, winners do pay out in that field. So uh, I've been on a very t- terrible run here in cash lineup. So hopefully I can turn things around here uh, coming up here on Saturday. Of course, uh, be sure to join our Discord channel. Totally free to join. Uh, we've already got some questions in. We'll get to those uh, as we get to the end of the show. So uh, let's talk a little game theory here. And Pete, I, I got to share. You you have a great game theory here today uh, in terms of building lines for UFC 289 and attacking certain fights. Yeah, I mean, to me, right, like for it's really tough to navigate throughout the entire card and have your exposures set perfectly. Um, so the best way to do so is by, you know, utilizing a tool that, you know, we, we, we can utilize and stochastic.fantasycruncher.com or any um, – or any type of crunching device. Um, and what I'm looking to do is just target certain fights. I, I think the main events, you know, and very, very important. Uh, one way or another, I think it's going to be a good score. Um, in addition to that, some other fights that I, fu- I feel are, are complete GPPs, um, the Malat Fugit fight, the Landwehr Ige fight, Nelson Builder, and obviously Dariush Oliveira. So I'm going to be prioritizing those fights, and that is going to be how I'm looking to uh, attack this slate um it doesn't seem like that it, it, it's kind of obvious what i just pointed out but unless you go in there you, you make tweaks and adjustments to your crutcher um you, you could actually be going underweight to some of those fights uh when you actually should be getting aggressive to them so that's how i'm going to be looking to attack the slate and uh you know how else i create lineups will we'll just completely depend on my randomness and uh who I'm feeling super confident in, perhaps there's somebody in the mid-range we'll get to. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, I'm with you, I think there's certain fights you definitely want to target. Then there's some fights that you look at and you just go, man, yeah. I just do not feel good about uh, going either side in terms of GPP and, of course, you know, trying to, you know, get to 650, 700 points so you'll be able to take down those big GPPs. But, Pete, let's get right into the main event. It is a matchup of Amanda Nunez defending her Bantamweight title against Irene Aldana. Amanda Nunez is a minus 320 betting favorite, plus 250 for Aldana over on DK, 9,500 for the champ, and 67 700 for the challenger, and then uh, Nunez has $23 on DraftKings, or excuse me, $23 on FanDuel, and $13 over on for Arena Aldani. Pete, which thoughts? So, I mean, I, I like the fight, right? So I like the fight, and I'm going to prioritize getting to the fight. Um, I think that there is a clear advantage in one area for Amanda Nunez, and that's by utilizing her grappling, uh, managing her gas tank, not, not going too crazy early on. 
uh, where she's super taxed and now she's a liability and she's able to get, you know, finished. Um, I think that if she goes in there, how she just was against Juliana Pena, mixing things up, five round decision, completely dominant, landing 85 significant strikes, landing six of eight takedowns, having tons of control time and just looking a step ahead all throughout that, that type of fight is going to, um, it, it's going to get her another, uh, defense for her title here against Irene Aldana. Now, if she just wants to go out there and make a point and stand and trade with Irene Aldana, I do think that the underdog is more than live. I I have to tell you, I think she's more than live. Um, Very rarely do you find fighters in uh, women's mixed martial arts that are true finishers and have the power to just shut your lights off. And I do think that Irene Aldana has showcased that in the past Clear, uh, clear Achilles heel in the grappling department, as I mentioned, but there have been worse strikers to expose the cardio in the chin of Amanda Nunes if she's just completely overexerting herself. So all comes down to energy usage. Obviously, I'm going to be siding with Amanda Nunes, has a more, um, ha- has a longer resume, has fought the who's who. At some point, though, you would think that you know, age, miles, and everything are starting to catch up to you, motivation, all of that. But uh, she could be one of these fighters that just walks away on top and and doesn't really have a challenger to, to you know, dethrone her. But I will say that Irene Aldana's price point's, you know, almost broken unless you think that she gets finished super, super early. 6700 so cheap. I'm going to stack in a few just because uh, I, I think that, you know, a small handful of lineups is okay. Don't stack too much. Um, but I'm expecting a good fight, to be honest, especially if it's on the feet. I'm going to still be siding with Amanda Nunes. But of all the challengers we've been seeing, I, I think that, you know, Aldana represents a strong striking case to uh, to dethrone Amanda Nunes. Yeah, when I started hand-building cash lineups, it was really hard for me not to go to Aldana in this spot just mm-hmm. because of that bro- that price tag. And if she can get this thing to go 25 minutes. Now, over on prize picks, I will tell you one of the props I really do like is that takedown prop on Amanda Nunez. Right now it's sitting at two. Uh, I-, I think that's a-, a smash the over at this point now. That's saying that she goes out there and fights with a smart game plan. Um, right. You know, it, it seemed you know there was this narrative earlier this week of maybe is this the last dance for Amanda Nunez? She kind of really shot that down this week a little bit. Uh, you know, with her her words about Juliana Pena. Um, but I mean, look, you never know when when the end's going to come here. Um, you know, I, I will say this: one of the props I don't, would not mind attacking would be Nunez wins via submission, which I, I want to say earlier in the week. I want to say it was like a, like plus five forty. Yeah, I don't hate it at all. I mean, that's the that's the route to expose Irene Aldana, and it's the safest way to to try to you know uh, to to get a victory over her. I mean, we have seen Amanda Nunes attempt a submission against Juliana Pena most recently, um, two submission attempts against uh, Megan Anderson prior to that, uh, one against Felicia Spencer, two against Jermaine Durandamy. So. You know, she's she's hunting submissions if she gets the fight to the ground. So um, there was a time when, she, when you could ragdoll her, um, but she has the the upper hand in the grappling and wrestling in this fight. I just I, I think that she just has to be wise with how she taxes her gas tank because, you know, Aldana's hands are, are really, really good. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that camp of hers does have a little bit of momentum. So mm-hmm. it, it could be a, a, a shift in the uh 
a shift of momentum from the gym and just riding high with seeing your teammate capture the the title. So we'll have to see, but I'm, I'm still going with Amanda Nunes here. Of course, the co-main event is a matchup that I would basically just describe as a lightweight title eliminator matchup between Benil Dariush and Charles Oliveira. Of course, Oliveira, the former champion, is the betting underdog here, plus 126, minus 150 for Dariush. Dariush is 8600 on DK, $17 on FanDuel. Uh, the Bronx is 7600 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. And, I mean, look, I, I think that the Bronx is going to be one of the most popular underdogs on this slate tomorrow. Yeah, so I was at work last night, and I was thinking, like, oh, man, I'm I'm feeling confident in Benil Dariush. And, and then I started to really think, like, well, why am I feeling confident? And it's kind of recency bias, right? Like, we see Charles Oliveira get hurt in almost all of his fights, and then he overcomes adversity. And most recently, he had a poor performance against Islam Mahachev, uh, hurt and then submitted in, in the second round. And it was somewhat reminiscent of the old Charles Oliveira. So I feel like everybody is going to be down on Charles Oliveira to a point, but let's really not let that recency bias cloud the ceiling and the aggressiveness and just how dangerous Charles Oliveira is. I mean, there was a point when you could hit Oliveira with a big shot and he would wilt and just cower in the corner. And then he just he flipped a switch mentally, and he turned into an absolute monster striking submission-wise. Was always a dangerous submission threat. But the guy in Islam Mahuchev, who was not afraid of going to the ground with him, I, I feel it feel like it humanized Charles Oliveira to a point. Now, I'm interested to see if there are any grappling exchanges between Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush. Dariush, a fantastic grappler in his own right, was one step ahead of Mataj Gamrot in some of the grappling and scrambling situations. And Gamrot can scramble like the best of them within the division. Him and Armin Sarukian had an absolute war. Um, so, like, Benil Dariush has fantastic power, um, good jiu-jitsu skills, good grappling. I just feel like, you know, we, we he's on a heater right now, an absolute crazy win streak. Uh, wins over Tiago Moises, Dober, Camacho, Close, Holtzman, Diego Fajaya, Ferguson, and Gamrot. But like, if you go back and you look at his losses, you can starch Benil Dariush, or at least you could by hitting him early, knocking him out with a shot, um, you know, and, and just kind of not letting him get into the fight. That's my one worry of where I was going to plant my flag on Benil Dariush, and I was like, yeah, you you guys know how I play. Like I, I get super aggressive and I lock somebody in. Most most times, and then sometimes it's really good, and sometimes it's really bad. I was saying I don't want to bet against Charles Oliveira because he is now looking to climb back to the top. I'm sure he's hungry. He's emotional. I'm still going to side with Benil Dariush to win the fight just because I think he has the power to hurt Oliveira, the grappling to negate it to a point. But I did not want to plant my flag and just go super aggressive on Dariush when you have one of the best finishers of all time and one of the best fighters in reigns of all time, in my opinion, um, and Charles Oliveira at 7,600. So the lean is Dariush. Uh, but in general, I love this fight, and I'm probably going to be near 60-40, 50-50 split on exposure. You know, Dariush is one of those guys that's really had to take the long road to get here. I mean, unfortunately, you know, he was supposed to fight Mahachev before Mahachev ultimately became the champion. That fight did not come together. Um, you know, for some reason, like, I feel like if Dariush gets the job done, I think it's in round two. For some, I just, for whatever reason, yeah. I keep seeing a round two Dariush finish. Uh, but, I mean, look, we all know what the Bronx could do in the first round. Um, I, I just think this is a fight that you have to give to. Um, you know, I will say this, you know, looking at the ownership projections, 
this may be that sneaky fight to potentially attack in the MVP spot on FanDuel if you play over on FanDuel. That that to me, just because the ownership is so low on both the on both sides in terms of the MVP, not necessarily. Um, and, and I'll say this: I, I you know with the ownership projections that are currently at, I'm surprised it's not higher for Charles Oliver. Um, but I would I would think that's definitely going to change. And and I would imagine a lot of cash lineups, single entry, you're going to see a, a lot of ownership there for the former champion. Next up, we got Mike Malat taking on Adam. Fouguet. Fouguet is a plus 170 betting underdog, minus 200 for Malat. Uh, Malat is 8800 on DK, $19 on FanDuel, and for Adam, he's 7400 on DK, $12 on FanDuel. Pete, which thoughts? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to continue to repeat myself today, but this is a fight I love, and I'm going to get to it a ton, because one way or another, I think that you're going to have a high score, so prioritizing this welterweight clash between Mike Malat and Adam Fouguet, um, I think that Mike Malat is a very dangerous round one fighter, has great round one upside priced at 8,800. Um, we've seen him go to the mat and we've seen him capture submissions. He's very, very slick in the submission department on the feet. He has really heavy hands and that was on display in his KO TKO finish over Mickey Gall in round one. Um, so with all that being said, he's well-rounded, but he's relatively untested outside of round one. And that's where one of these days he's going to run into a dilemma where if he can't find the early finish, does he still have that same type of gas tank? Does he still have that same type of output? Is he able to still be the same fighter from minute six to minute 15? A lot of times when you're an early finisher, you know, I, I don't know. It becomes a habit. You hunt that finish so bad and you're, you're, you're taxed come rounds two and round three. Sometimes you've, you're ready to go rounds two and rounds three. We, we don't know until we really see him go out there and uh, get put under duress and, and, you know, rise to the occasion. That is why I'm not crossing off Adam Fugit here at all. I think Fugit on short notice looked relatively good against a, a prospect in Michael Morales. Uh, he did end up going into the third round and was surprising a ton of people. Um, he threw 113 significant strikes, landed 64, uh, was attempting takedowns a lot and had Michael Morales defensive. He attempted eight takedowns, only had success on one of them. But what, what that did is it kept his opponent defending, defending, defending. And next thing you know, two-thirds of the fight is gone. And then Michael Morales really had to turn it up and then knock him out in the third round. I think that he rebounded very nicely against uh, Yusaku uh, Kinoshita in his first-round KOTKO finish where mm -hmm. you saw him go to the takedown well early and often. Four out of seven takedown attempts en route to a very, very dangerous and brutal finish. Um, I like this fight, man. The, the lean is still going to be Mike Malat in his hometown. Um, hits really well. I know he has good ground game as well. There's just questions here. So where where people are going to be locking Mike Malat or just you know getting super aggressive, I still have some worries. So I'm a little hesitant to to plant the flag on Mike Malat. I definitely can't plant the flag on Adam Fugit because I think that Malat is legitimate. Um, but with that being said, it's a lean towards Malat, picking him to win. But all in general, I love this fight. I, I think that there's no way that this fight is not optimal. Yeah, this was one of those matchups. I was kind of hoping there'd be a takedown prop over over on yeah. on Prize Picks, but there there is not to, in terms of. No, I'll tell you on Prize Picks, there's not really a ton that I love this week. Um, I know there's one uh, line that Pete really likes. We'll get to that fight a little bit later on in the show. But uh, you know, I I do give the slight edge to, to Malat and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 
but I don't mind getting Adam as an underdog as well. Next up, we got some matchup that I absolutely love. Dan Ige taking on Nate the Train, Nate Landwehr. Uh, Dan Ige, minus 260 betting favorite, plus 210 for Nate Landwehr. Uh, Ige, 9100 on DK, $20 on FanDuel. And Nate is 7100 on DK, $10 on FanDuel. A little redundant, but I'm telling you, I like this fight. So this is... This is how I'm attacking this slate. So obviously, if you want to get different than me, just do exactly the opposite. But I feel like I've nailed down the the pretty obvious fights to prioritize. And this featherweight clash between Dan Ige, priced at 9,100, and Nate Landwehr at 7,100 is going to be a priority for me. Um, Ige 8-5 in the UFC, Landwehr 4-2 in the UFC. We've seen Landwehr just really hit a stride and, and have a ton of momentum with a submission victory over Ludovic Klein, a majority decision over David Onama, and a second-round submission over Austin Lingo. The Ludovic Klein one kind of, you know, it it made everybody scratch their head. Like, okay, either Ludovic Klein is not legitimate or that, you know, Nate Landwehr is what we thought he was back in M1. Super dangerous. Maybe he just had two fluky losses to Julian Arosa, got hit with a big, big shot. But the Herbert Burns one is kind of that stinker where it's like, that's the one that's a little ugly of a loss, but it was in his UFC debut. So we'll, we'll give him a pass with that. The That's why everybody, including myself, thought he was probably going to get knocked out against Ludovic Klein and David Onama. David Onama, in my opinion, was one of the, uh, the prospects within a division that I circled because I think that he has good hands, good wrestling, good everything. And Lamware just broke him. Uh, Landwehr's pace can break anybody. Uh, his chin is up in the air, so I do worry about counter shots. And it's pretty obvious that you know the counter shot of Herbert Burns and the explosive uh, shot that that Julian Arosa landed. There are holes in his striking defense, so you can catch Nate Landwehr. It's just inconsistent because in some of these fights, his chin's up. He's getting hit with shots, and it's like, ooh, I thought he was going to go out with that, and he seems unfazed. Um, so well, I can't really bank on a Dan Ige knockout. I feel like almost everybody's banking on a Dan Ige knockout, and he is a lower-volume fighter who is probably the more skilled of the two. And I think that is, like, if you put all their skills on the table, I think Dan Ige edges him so, uh, just ever so slightly. But at, at some point, I think volume and aggressiveness can actually – you know, tilt towards Nate Landwehr's favor. And I'm actually going to be picking Nate Landwehr here. And I know Dan Ige's my guy. His resume has been against super legitimate opponents. Mozart, Ibleb, Josh Emmett, Damon Jackson, Chan Sung Jung. I can go on and on and on. Calvin Cater. He's lost decisions. So I think everybody is expecting him to just get a very easy win over Nate Landwehr. And even if it's not easy, just have all the answers for Nate Landwehr because of his experience. And I don't know if I'm buying it necessarily. Like, I love Dan Ige, but I just feel like, you know, we can see a pace pusher in Nate Landwehr just keep Ige super defensive, where Ige's all of a sudden in a hole down two rounds, and now you're banking on a third-round knockout that never comes. Uh, Regardless, I'm prioritizing this fight. This fight's going to be fireworks, and uh, I I can't wait to watch it. Nate the train in the UFC, baby. Look, Dan Ige... He loses against the elite of this division. But these are usually the fights that he shines in. And I I think that he takes advantage of Nate. But, like, look, 
do I want to get it to Nate as well in this fight? No question about it. But I just I feel like Danny Gay wins second round knockout. I'm just I'm just rooting for Nate to get more mic time. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's all I'm rooting for. Like, uh, you know, I, I I've grown to really like him. So I, I've always liked his fighting style. I think that if you go back and you watch his M1 highlights, it's like really impressive. Like I've always yeah. thought he's really impressive. His ground game's good. His ground and pounds excellent. He's got the the craziest dog in him. You can always count on him to just give it his all. And not saying that Danny Gay can't. I just think that this is a a nice little litmus test, and we'll, we'll see if Nate Landwehr passes. Then our opening fight of the pay-per-view will be Marc-Andre Barrio taking on Eric Anders. Anders is a plus-115 betting underdog, minus-135 for Barrio. Barrio, 8400 on DK, $16 on FanDuel. Anders is 7800 on DK, $14 on FanDuel. Pete, what's your thoughts? Yeah, this this fight to me is not going to be a priority. I'm going to get to it, right? Um, you got Marc-Andre Barrio who, you know, fighting in his hometown, or I shouldn't say hometown, home country. Um, you know, he's okay. I mean, the second round victory over Julian Marquez is going to look better than really what it is to me. Um, he picked up a first round submission over Jordan, Wright. Okay. I'm not really impressed with that. Dolce Lugan Beulah, not impressed with that at all. Uh, Abu Azaitar, okay, then third round, scored massive at 132. The Marquez one was massive at 119, caught him cold in the second. So, like, I think that Marc-Andre Barrio, the, the power bar, gets stronger as the fight goes on and will be a common choice in the mid-range for most people. But Eric Anders is just a big guy. He's huge, right? And when, you know, he scored 51 against Junyun Park and – has he attempted 24 takedown attempts do you believe that jason 24 takedown attempts only had success with three of them but had four minutes four and a half minutes of control time that's my worry with back and barrio here is that anders is just too big too strong puts barrio against the cage whether he's attempting takedowns or succeeding in the grappling i just think that anders is going to be dictating where the fight takes place and that's where mark andre barrio is just going to be a step behind I think on the outside, if Barrio gets some momentum going, his strikes and his volume can really overwhelm a lot of people within the division. But I just think that Anders being tricky, having big power to keep the respect of Marc-Andre Barrio, in addition to just being strong and having good cage control, I'm actually going to be picking Eric Anders to win a an ugly, ugly decision. Um, not a priority fight for me. I can see it going either way. But I'm not really going to plant my flag at the mid-range at Marc-Andre Barrio. I just, I'll, I'll side with the underdog in, in uh, Eric Anders. I don't really love this this matchup for GPP just because I, I just don't see it being very high scoring. I think this thing's going to go 15 minutes. Uh, I do like the over uh, 14 and three-quarters fight time on Barrio on price picks. I also like Barrio's uh, significant strike over, which is 63 and a half. Eric Anders has uh, been a guy that's been you know going to various gyms. Uh, you know He did majority of his camp at, at uh, the MMA lab. Prior to that, he had spent some time at Factory X. Prior to that, he had spent some time at Fight Ready. Uh, there was a, an issue between Anders' management and the owner of Fight Ready. That's why uh, either those fighters have left that management company or have left Fight Ready. And uh, But he's been to, to multiple gyms. That's always and That's one of those things of what can the MMA lab coaches do with Eric Anders such a short period of time and like I mean my guess is if Anders wins this one it's just it's 
because Eric's never been a high volume guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in New England, it's common that you're going to multiple gyms just because of the uh, the volume of of professional fighters within the area is low. Um, but like going from major gym to major gym to me is somewhat of a red flag. It seems like you're searching for answers. Uh, not the biggest fan of gym hoppers. Uh, not saying that you can't cross train by any means, but um, you know that, that you need to be with a stable team. Stability is great, especially when a coach knows you better than anybody because they can help you. You can only help yourself so much. Yes, you're the one getting in there and competing, but there are so many other factors leading up to an MMA fight that I just feel like some people are are missing. Uh, so I mean, I'm not a big fan of seeing that, and it, it kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit, but. Still making me slightly side with Eric Anders here. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i side with Barriott in this one, but uh, I just don't see this being a, a fight that, that's optimal in terms of, of GPPs. Next up, got a great matchup here to Imovov and Curtis. Imovov is a minus 160 betting favorite, plus 135 for the action man over on DK. Imovov is 8500 7700 for Curtis and on FanDuel. $18 for Imovov, $13 for Curtis. Chris, repeat. Okay, well. We'll see. I mean, we're going to see if it's going to, this fight's going to sink my ship or not. Um, I'm okay if it does, because this is how I feel like I have to get different, you know? And I'm going to go with Nasruddin Imovov here, priced in the mid range. I liked him against Sean Strickland, and Sean Strickland beat the hell out of him. But what it did is it gave Nasruddin Imovov some, some really, really valuable experience. And then he actually was able to, he was able to come back a little bit. And display some heart the skills are there man like this guy has good hands he has good submission ability uh for a little bit in that fight against sean strickland he was just a step behind getting pieced up and a hard way you never really face somebody on the same striking level as you never mind somebody who's better than you and strickland just looked like looked like the true vet there so i'm not saying that nasadine imovov is for me it's not like recency bias and i'm going to bet against them here he gets now Chris Curtis, uh, Sean Strickland's teammate. And in my opinion, that five-round experience is going to work wonders for Nasruddin Imovov. He's always been dangerous. He hits really good, throws great straight shots down the middle, has a piston right hand, slips his head off center line for Chris Curtis's straight left hand, uh, throws knees up the middle. Um, he's fought some southpaws in the past, Joaquin Buckley, Jordan Williams. I liked what I saw in some of those. Um and I think that he has a good chin as well. So, I mean, I'm going to be going Nasruddin Imovov. And I think the X factor here that hasn't been on display in the UFC yet, really, is Chris Curtis's ground game. Like, outside the UFC, you know, it's always been a work in progress. And at Extreme Couture, you know Chris Curtis has been working diligently to, to make sure that he is keeping the fight on the feet so he can outpoint, outbox, or knock you out. And he's looked great at that. But... There was a time where if you could take Chris Curtis down, you could ragdoll him and put him in a bad spot and possibly submit him. I just think that Nasruddin Imovov has those skills to make it a complete MMA fight where Chris Curtis is going to be defending, put in bad spots, and Imovov is going to capitalize. So I think Imovov is going to finish Chris Curtis here, to be honest. And if he doesn't finish him, I think it's going to be lacing up those wrestling shoes and actually landing takedowns. And Chris Curtis is great ability to get back to his feet could lead to a higher score. So the flag plant of the week for me is going to be Nasruddin Imovov. Um, 
it's a risky one because Chris Curtis as an underdog is an absolute stud. Knocked out Phil Hawes, Brennan Allen, Rodolfo Vieira decision. Uh, lost to Jack Hermanson in a decision. Lost to Kelvin Gastelum. Co- uh, common opponent in Joaquin Buckley. He was able to knock him out in the second round, whereas uh, Nasruddin Imovov was only able to win a decision. So I'm going to be going to Imovov here at 8,500, and uh, that is my flag plant of the week. Yeah, I like the Imov side in this matchup. Um, you know, Chris Curtis, I mean, one thing about the action man is this guy is always going to sign up for a fight. Um, you know, be interesting to maybe see if this does not go his way, will he potentially go back down to 170? Um, you know, he's talked about interviews that, you know, that cut is just brutal for him. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think this is a bad matchup for him, and I like Imov to get the win here as well. Then we got a female matchup. We got Miranda Maverick as a 3 to 1 betting favorite, taking on Jasmine here. Uh, Maverick, 9,300 DK, $22 on. On FanDuel, um, Jasmine is a plus two forty betting underdog. Six nine hundred on DK, eight dollars on FanDuel. Pete, women's MMA. Um, you, you got an underdog in Jasmine Jasuda Vicious here at sixty nine hundred. Miranda Maverick, who at one point was a bright prospect within the flyweight division, here at ninety three hundred. Um, good striking, better striking for Miranda Maverick in this uh, matchup against Jasmine Jasuda Vicious. Um, I would say better jujitsu as well. Uh, but the, the wrestling is a little weird because she can pick up takedowns. She's good at getting takedowns, but I think that Jasmine actually might be the better wrestler here. And that, that might be a, a hot take. Hasn't really been on display in the UFC yet. Um, but like, you know, that she can at least negate takedowns. They both can negate takedowns. And then it comes to me, who's the better striker. And I'm going to be siding with Miranda Maverick here. Um, I don't think that a finish happens. I think that a decision occurs and because of the, negating of of takedown attempts i think that miranda maverick is going to pick up a decision yeah i like maverick in this situation uh, i want to say on prize picks or takedown prop i think it's two i mean I, if i was going to play that i would rather go more than two than under two um it's probably a good number um but i i think maverick is clearly the a side in, in this matchup but uh not not one of those prize picks props that i really loved yeah no i i personally wouldn't play that just because it's just like you know they both have good wrestling and i just i mean that that it seems like a a tough line to go after next up we got arichi lang taking on amon's a hobby arichi lang is a minus 105 uh, as a hobby minus 115 on dk Uh, arichi lang 8300 16 dollars on fanduel as a hobby 7900 on dk 15 dollars on fanduel pete yeah i mean that's kind of how I feel about this fight. I'm just like huffing and puffing over here. Not a big fan of the fight, bantamweight fight. Um, you know, Richie Lang previously being at flyweight, back-to-back losses to Jeff Molina, Cody Durden, and then deciding to go to go up to bantamweight, picking up a first-round KO over Cameron Els, and then the decision went over Jay, Jay Perrin. Uh, you have Eamon Zahabi, who has been at bantamweight throughout his entire UFC career, facing uh, Reginald Vieira, uh, Ricardo Hamos, Vince Morales, Draco Rodriguez, and Ricky Tercios. It's a close fight. I, I really think that they both can um, have some success against each other. I think that Arichi Lang throwing okay volume, looking to mix in some takedowns is an all right strategy. But I, I do think that the uh, the strategists in the Zahabi side and the, the Zahabi family, I think that they always are you know putting together solid game plans. I mean, that was on display against Ricky Tercios. Um, had a good good first-round victory over Draco Rodriguez. I just think that Eamon Zahabi's really limited, like in my opinion. I think he's super limited. I don't think he's really that good. 
Um, so it's it's really hard for me to get behind him. He does have two knockdowns in the UFC. Um, if you go and you look at Arichi Lang, he has one knockdown in the UFC, and that was against Cameron Else. So um, I'm going to be siding with Eamon Zahabi here at 7,900 to win a decision. Not my favorite fight to target, but because of the low, um, because of the the skill, uh, the, the skill sets of both fighters, I do think that it's a low-level fight. And sometimes in low-level fights, there's a ton of volatility. So I'm just I'm not willing to to you know back one of these guys confidently. I'm gonna gonna have a split of exposure, but I'll, I'll go with Amon Zahabi here. I don't feel good in picking either one of these guys, Pete. Yeah, me either, man. <laughs> I mean, I just I, I feel like with Amon Zahabi, I can never get his fight right. I mean, I've just never been big on him. Um, it's a slight lean to me for Richie Lang in this one, but um, I, I don't know if it's really a, a fight to really that I would want to prioritize in terms of GPPs. But if you're looking to save salary, I could see you maybe trying to get there uh, in terms of this one. Next up, we got a match between Blake Builder and Kyle Nelson. Builder a minus two forty betting uh, favorite, minus plus one ninety five for. Kyle Nelson. Builder is 9000 on DK, $19 on FanDuel. Nelson, 7200 on DK, and $11 on FanDuel. Beat. Yeah, so the Builder-Nelson fight's a, a fight I am going to be prioritizing. It really reminds me a lot of the Mike Malott-Adam Fugit fight. And the reason I, I like this fight from a GPP aspect is I think a finish is going to happen one way or another. Regionally, we saw Blake Builder hit with some big, big shots, um, knocked down countless times, right hand seemed to find a, a home on Builder's chin. Um, outside of that, though, we have seen some significant development in his game. He's been really working on his boxing extensively with a fantastic coach. You can go on a social media and see that he's really putting in the time. He has he has good power in his hands, and in addition to that, he has excellent jiu-jitsu and wrestling in his back pocket, uh, more so from the, the wrestling and I mean, more so in the jiu-jitsu department than the wrestling. He attempted seven takedowns against Shane Young, only found success with one of them. But Shane Young's a, a tough out, not a phenomenal fighter by any means, but a tough out. Um, Kyle Nelson, if you look at his box score and you go throughout it, the entire thing, it is one of the ugliest records ever. And I'm really over here scratching my head, Jason. I'm like, how <laughs> the hell is Kyle Nelson still in the UFC? Who does he know? What dirt does he have on somebody? I don't know. Good for him, though. Um, he's been around for a while, debuting against Diego Fajaya, getting knocked out in the second round, losing to Matt Sales, not really the best best look uh, in the third round via submission, knocking out Polo Reyes in devastating fashion in round one, um, losing to Billy Quarantillo in the third round, uh, and then losing a decision to Jai Herbert, and most recently scoring a draw against Duho Choi. It's just like, what an ugly, ugly record. But, okay, um, if you go and you look at his takedown numbers, attempted 10 takedowns against Duho Choi, landed five of them, attempted four against Jai Herbert and Billy Quarantillo, uh, didn't find success in either one of those fights with it, um, attempted 10 takedowns against Matt Sales, and what that did is it really taxed his gas tank and then led to him getting submitted. So if he attempts takedowns like that, against Blake Builder. I think that Builder has the jiu-jitsu pedigree to to get him out of there. And then if you look, he hasn't achieved a knockdown in any of his fights, which is a little funny because he did knock out Polo Reyes. But outside of that fight, there's no knockdowns accrued at all. So I don't think he's going to be the better grappler than uh, Blake Builder. 
I know he has a missile of a right hand and can knock down Blake Builder. Lesser competition has done so uh, on the regional scene, but there's not enough confidence here for me to say Kyle Nelson's going to spoil the record of Blake Builder. So I'm going to be going with Builder to win the fight inside the distance at 9,000. I think he's a, a, a fine option, but just because of the volatility in the chins of both fighters and just the question marks, I'm still going to be getting to the underdog just because. I think my concern uh, on the builder side maybe is that an early swarm by Kyle Nelson, yeah, exactly. um, you know, but do have those cardio concerns. If this thing gets in the second, third round, I really do think that Blake can really take over, but I think it's, it's more about just kind of weathering that early storm that uh, most likely will be coming from Kyle Nelson. Next up, we got a matchup that went through an opponent change. David Dvorak taking on Stefan Irgreg, 9400 for Dvorak, $21 on FanDuel for him. He's a minus 270 betting favorite, Stephen, plus 220 as a, a betting underdog, $9 on FanDuel, 6800 on DK Pete. Yeah, what a fight, huh? Um, 9400 for David Dvorak. Probably not a price tag I'm in love with, to be honest, because I don't think that he's going to be the gr better grappler in this situation. Um, and he's going to need to strike on the outside and avoid the grappling of Steven Urseg, uh, because Urseg is very good at um, getting a hold of you, getting position, holding you, winning control time, uh, and, and sinking in some submissions. I think that David Dvorak is a very, very tough debut for anybody. He is 3-2 and two in the UFC. Wins over Bruno Silva, Jordan Espinosa, and Juan Camilo Ronderos. Back-to-back -back defeats over Mataj uh, Nicolau and Manel Kopp. He's fought the who's who, or, or some of the who's who within that division already in the flyweight division. So um, I'm not saying it's impossible for Steven Erseg to, to win a decision or submit David Dvorak. I think it's highly unlikely. Um, it's a price point play more than anything, possibly because of the low amount of fights we have on this card. You could have a losing fighter sneak into the optimal lineup. I would probably think that it's Irene Aldana over Steven Urseg, but perhaps it comes down to damage versus control and Dvorak busts at 9,400 and Steven Urseg in a loss gets enough takedowns, control time, and like 50-something points in a defeat at 6,800, but uh, it's a fight where I'm not prioritizing by any means. I'll get a little bit more aggressive than the field on Steven Urseg just in case something silly happens, but I think that David Dvorak's going to win here at 9,400. Yeah, I like Dvorak in this uh, situation as well. Of course, Steven coming here on short notice. Um, you know, see what uh, he's able to do here. And then our first fight tonight, this is a fight that uh, is, uh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're just hoping that this thing is not optimal because I don't know which side you want to get to here. Uh, you got uh, Belvita taking on Oliveira. Belvita is a minus 120 betting favorite, plus 100 for Oliveira, uh, 8,000 for Diana on DK. Maria is a 200. Uh, and then Maria is $16 on FanDuel and $15 for Diana Pete what's your thoughts on this uh, matchup what my what are my thoughts my thoughts are I hope this fight is not optimal because this fight is horrendous and the reason it's so horrendous is they're both so low level um and it's kind of it's very frustrating to go through fight film and try to have a confident stand on either one of these sides uh Diana Belbita She's fought Molly McCann. Okay, Molly McCann's a, a notable name within the division. Liana Jojua, Hannah Goldie, Gloria DePaula. Best win is Hannah Goldie. You go and you look at Maria Oliveira. Tabitha Ricci completely outgrappled her. Split decision over Gloria DePaula and Vanessa Demopoulos. No crazy notable name here. 
Um, they both throw with high volume. I, I think if it's pretty clear that Maria Oliveira needs to keep the fight on the feet because if she's up against anybody that can incorporate takedowns, she's at risk of losing a decision or possibly getting submitted. More so about losing minutes in route to a decision defeat as evidence in the past fights that she's had against Demopolis and Tabitha Ricci. Um, they both throw super high volume. The, the issue is that the, uh, Diana Belbitza doesn't have the best control, even if she lands takedowns. Uh, she's landed a takedown against Mala McCann, uh, Liana Jojua, and still had less than a minute and a half of control time. And then when she took down Liana Jojua, she was submitted pretty quickly in round one. So I'm looking over here at the at the the striking numbers, and I'm actually going to be leaning towards Maria Oliveira. It's a slight lean, man. I don't it, I don't really want to pick either one of these fighters. It's kind of crazy that I'm picking a fighter who threw 297 significant strikes against Gloria De Paula and landed only 96. Jason, I was telling you before the show, how the hell do you miss 200 significant strikes? What were you aiming at? 200 significant strikes in a 15-minute fight, but sometimes volume, even if you're not landing, looks good on judges. Um especially if not much is going on. So I'm going to be siding with Maria Oliveira, but holy hell, I do not like this fight. And, and Pete did mention he does like the uh, significant strike prop on Maria at 77 and a half yeah. over on price picks. As I think Pete was like, just smash that over because that's that's where that was going to go. Uh, let's, let's get into We're going to do our straight-up uh, fight picks here, then we'll answer questions to wrap up this episode. The main event, um, I got to go gotta go with Godin and Amanda Nunez. I've picked against Amanda Nunez so many times that I can't do it again. But I'm gonna go Amanda Nunes and watch watch Aldana spoil it. But I'll go Nunes. Uh, I'll go underdog number one and Charles Oliveira. Interesting. I'm gonna go Darius. Uh, Mike Malott. Malott. Danny Ige. Lamar Nate the Train in the <laughs> UFC, baby. Uh, Mark Andre Barriot. I'm gonna go Eric Anders. Uh, I'll go Imovov. Imovov. Maverick. Maverick. Uh, give me a Richie Lang. Zahabi. Uh, builder, builder, Dvorak, Dvorak. Can I just go get a coin and just flip up in the air? I mean, really, that's. <laughs> I'll, that's I'll go Oliveira, but have have no faith in that one. Zero faith in this fight, Oliveira. Uh, of course, if you're tuning in, uh, so right here on YouTube, be sure to smash that thumbs up button and uh, subscribe to the channel. If you're not subscribed to the channel, try to get over a thousand subscriptions. And of course, if you're listening to us over the podcast platforms, uh, be sure to check out that. I was uh, checking out the numbers the other day on that. We're doing pretty well over there. So appreciate everyone tuning in on the podcast channels. Uh, I mentioned some questions that we got over on Discord here first. Uh, Tristan saying, rank the 9K options and who has the highest takedown upside? All right, so let's rank them based on confidence. Got to be Nunez, Dvorak. So you got Dvorak, Builder, Maverick, Ige, and Nunez. So you got five. Yeah, but if you're looking confidence, right? Like say say we're doing confidence, we're not doing score. Nunez, Dvorak, Maverick, Builder, Ige. I, I would personally put Ige higher. Up, I mean, if I was going to go, I mean, the thing with Nunez, a huge takedown upside. We, we both know that. Huge takedown yeah. upside. Thing goes 25 minutes, and she's getting, you know, getting a takedown around all the control time and, you know, strikes something on the mat, maybe gets, you know, some submissions. She can really rack up the points. I mean, I would probably, 
I'd probably go one Nunez, two Ige, three Builder, four Maverick, five Dvorak. Yeah, so confidence-wise was how I said it. And when it comes to takedowns, it's Nunez for me, Builder, Maverick, Ige, Dvorak. Uh, next up, uh, this comes in from Shine. Uh, he says, uh, for the show, from a betting perspective, most confident picks, favorite inside the distance fights, dog of the car, prop that you like, parlay. Uh, the prop that I liked, I mentioned a little bit earlier, is Nunez via submission, which was uh, five to one odds. Um, the most confident picks, I mean, we kind of went over that. Um, from a betting perspective, I you know what? I might say Emovolve at minus 160. Yeah, I like I like Imovov a lot. Watch him get completely knocked out from Chris Curtis, but I Imovov is my favorite spot on the entire card. I'm I'm trying to find that spot in the card, the sweet spot, and he's at that sweet spot that I want. So um, he's my favorite as far as underdog of the card. Jason ain't gonna like it, but Nate the Train in the UFC, baby. Uh, I, I, uh, look, I don't mind. I don't mind. I, I get why you, you want to go there. He's plus um, 200. I think that it's a good, that's a good lot. Like that's a good value in my opinion. You know, he's going to, if he doesn't get knocked out, say he doesn't get knocked out. Don't you think he's going to fight better than a plus 200 fighter? I think so. Yeah. I, I was just going to pull up to see what is he to win via decision. Yeah. I like that as well. I mean, for because him I mean, he gets plus he, 450. God, I mean, it's a good I, number. It's a good, I feel like I, I would chase the, the win by decision prop. See what I'm saying? It's a good number. I, I think that it's just a value play. And that's yeah. like, I think he's, if he doesn't get knocked out, and sometimes we overrate how often people get knocked out. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't get knocked out, man, he's a dog. He has yeah. volume and he has heart. So, uh, favorite inside the distance fights. Uh, for me, I would say Darius Oliveira, Ige Landwehr. Um, Builder Nelson would be my top ones. Yeah, it's all the ones I mentioned in the past. Uh, Nuna, it's the main event for me. Malat Fugit, Lamar Nelson, um, uh, Lamar Ige, Nelson Builder, and Dariush Oliveira. Uh, the underdog of the card. Like I, I know someone in the YouTube said, who, who's this uh, week's uh, Demond Blackshear uh, with what he was able to do last week. That was, um, that was crazy. Lasarda looked terrible. I know. I mean, there's not an underdog. I mean, the underdog. I mean, say I would say one, Charles. Say time, Jason. I would say, say Charles Oliveira. I mean, oh, say it one time, Jason. Who who, who you think I was gonna say? Nate oh, the God. train in the UFC, baby. You gotta say, it. come on, man. Uh, <laughs> if, if if he wins, Jason needs to put out a Nate the Train UFC, baby. Next podcast, <laughs> he has to say it. That's just that's the rule. I, I get you. Uh, parlay. So let's just say we're gonna do a three fighter parlay. Yeah. What would you do here? I would. I would go. Emovolve. With parlays, but go ahead. Yeah, I would go. If I was going to do a three-fighter parlay, I would go Emovolve, Ige, and Builder. No, that's the best. I can't do that. If I did a three-fighter parlay, I would go Emovolve, Builder, 
Maverick. And I don't like including women's MMA in parlays, but I, I, I mean, given the uncertainties on other fights, I, I think that's what I have to do. Uh, I guess some questions in here from YouTube before we wrap things up here. Uh, Scott says, email off Curtis will make or break lineups. Um, I don't think it makes, makes or break lineups. I don't think because like Curtis doesn't throw enough, but yeah. when he lands, he can knock you out. I think Imovov is going to break the entire slate. That's my hope. That's my hope. <laughs> so I'm 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 just putting it in universe because I'm going to be so aggressive towards him. Scott also says same with uh, Zahabi and Orichi Lang. God, I just ugh, I don't feel good about either side of that fight. I'm worried about that fight because of the low low level. And how it's just going to lead to something stupid happen and high score. You know what I mean? One big shot, they get dropped, and then a couple hammer fists, and the fight's over. It's like, oh, my God, really? Scott also asking you uh, if you could rematch someone from the past, who would it be? It's a good, you, good question. Oh, you you have a name in your mind right now. I know you do. You've got that look. I'd want to face them all. Um I mean, honestly, there's not one that really sticks out. There's, I don't know. There's so there's so many, man. I just, yeah. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew says, uh, do a 150 max this week, or will that be a gigantic split? Um, unless we lose fights, I, I don't see a gigantic split. I don't think so either. You don't have uh. some chalk crazy like so what i did last week is i was a little bit more aggressive towards malarkey than i was miller and that turned out to not work out you know what i mean like i got to a lot of both of their opponents but clearly i should have gone the other way but i think that's where a lot of people went wrong last week and there's nothing there's no free square of the week this week so that that's why i think there's not going to be a split yeah, Lacerda just that, that wrecked all my lives. I, 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 he looked horrible. I should have known when I saw him at the weigh-in. And he looked super timid. I don't like doing the weigh-in analysis yeah. or anything like that. But like sometimes I can catch on body language, and I was just like, I remember yeah. when I finalized my lives and now DK. It has that where you can see your exposures on DK. Yeah, and I was I like, like I was like, uh oh, I got way too much. <laughs> yeah, he was. I was seventy three percent. Oh my god, Jason! Yeah, no, yeah. And had 20? way too had way too much because he 20? was in he was in every cash build. No, it was all my all my lineups total. Oh god! But he was in every every cash lineup. Yeah, yeah. When that fight went that way, I was like, and when he was chasing the leg lock, I'm like, oh man, it's twenty twenty three. Man, I, mean, I thought he was gonna get it, but like, that's where jujitsu guys just don't get it. Where yeah. You hold on to a leg, you get punched in the face a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Scott says his over-under is four and a half. Give me the over. Yeah, I'll go over, but I'm with you. Um, Eric is the one who mentioned about uh, who is a potential black shear this week. 8% owned last week. Overlooked fight, 114 points, and early fight in the card. Uh, you know, I mean, look, that's one of the things when you have ownership projections where you start looking at, okay, what are the fights that really are not getting ownership and um, there's not really a fight that sticks out to me that's not getting uh, ownership. I mean, I mean the Malat ownership is pretty crazy. Um, I definitely want to yeah. be on the field on that one. Um, I mean Nunez. I'm I'm not surprised by the ownership in terms of that. I mean, you know, 
she could go out there and smash. But there, there's not like a fight where, you know, say, you know, I mean, if if you're going to look at a fight that the Dvorak fight is probably the fight to look at as an underowned fight. Yeah, and if you were looking just from an underdog standpoint, I think it's 1A, 1B. Kyle Nelson, Adam Fugit are the guys that yeah. are super, super low-owned. That could break the slate like Blackshear did last week. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's one of these things of I feel like all of us are going to have a lineup going into the main event where we're just going to be praying that Nunez is go out there and smash the slate. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, but of course, uh, we do have our DK contest. People can uh, sign up for that. Uh, link is in the description. Of course, uh, be sure to give this uh, video a thumbs up if you're watching us on YouTube or if you're on the podcast channel. So give us a rating and review. Pete, uh, anything you want to leave the listeners with? No, uh, just, uh, you know, good luck, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in to us. We appreciate it. Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, join the community in the in our Discord. That is linked below. And uh, yeah, help us help us get the channel to a thousand subscribers. That that'd be really really helpful. And uh, we'll be back next week and for the next what three months straight. Yeah, I think it's like thirteen weeks in a row of UFC events. Fun, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's some of these cards you just go, oh, oh man. lord, no, no, yeah, another yeah. fight. Uh, let's let's just hope Chris Lee isn't scoring the main event. I know, really. I, I had a two-two going to the fifth, so I did too. I, I don't know how you give the fourth round. Like, it's it's one of those things, like, it's a close fight. Yeah. It's not a robbery. Like, I saw people call it a robbery. Like, no, this is not a robbery. It's just a close fight. But to me, it's one of those situations where you have a close fight and you see the way a judge scores a certain round and you just go, what fight were you watching? That's the problem. That's the problem. You it, know. It, it's not that the it was 3-2. It's that when you go back and you watch, you're like, there's no shot in hell you score for that person. No, no, that that that's just an, and, and you know where I really feel bad in the situation, Pete is. I feel bad for Car France because he goes home without a second paycheck. That I mean, that's that's how it is every week. And, I know, and, you know, and like you get half your money because and, of and, three people. But and I look, mean, I don't, and I don't know what the solution is. I really don't. I don't. I know like open s- scoring. You know, I like open scoring because all it does. I know it may take the drama out of the TV, but I'll tell you what it does is it actually give some transparency as what the hell's going on heading into these crucial rounds where it's like, okay, I'm down. They might've been drinking something while they were judging the scores, but at least I know I got to do something. The only way open scoring happens is if someone can convince Dana White. Right, exactly. Because without the UFC approving it, which I don't think they will because it creates drama and it creates all this, all these numbers, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's helpful. It's beneficial as much as they, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's chatter and, and, and what it does is it just creates interest one way or another, negative or positive. It's just like, you know, but I, I would love it because I think that is the answer. Yeah. I mean, from a fires aspect, but I just, um, I I've heard the pros and cons of it. You know, there, there is one con I've heard is there's a concern of what if you have a live score Quarterman gets heated about it and goes after the judge. Okay. I mean, but in my opinion, right? Like they need to be held accountable. And I have good relationships with a lot of people within within that whole thing. And accountability is something everybody agrees upon. Transparent. Um, I, I would use the term we need more transparency. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And like, you know, like it's good to just know rather than after the fact that people are gonna be pissed off regardless. Um, 
but I mean, it's it's no different than a, an umpire when they're calling a ball a strike and out. You know what I mean? Like at least they, it's the same thing. It, it's just the jobs of refs and judges within you know sports and officiating in general. So, I I think that's a silly cop out answer, but um, I think it's just like oh let's we don't want anything bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, Whatever. yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I do think there's regulators who are who are trying. I mean, um, apparently in in California, they're now letting the media essentially come into the the roundtable discussion, of the commission and the, and the judges. I think that's kind of interesting, um, and, and I think that that'll be. But also, we just need more high quality judges in the sport. And like, look, it's not an easy job. I mean, let, let's that that's not an easy not job. You know, um, I, I think it's easy to for us to score a fight sitting in front of our television set. 100%. And it's watching a, on TV is different than being there, too. People don't yeah. realize that, you know. I, 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 I'll never forget it was um, Mike Richmond and Desmond Green. And um, I was there. And the way I viewed the fight and the way people watching at home view the fight were two different things because when you're there – you truly get an indication of what strikes are landing yep. and which strikes are notable strikes, mm-hmm. you know, where on TV, sometimes it just gets taken out of it. 100%. You know, 100%. So. But uh, that's, it's always, look, judging is always going to be a hot topic. And man, we, it, we, me and Pete, me here 20 years from now, we'll still be talking about bad scores. I mean, that's just the way it is. But uh, we do appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of Fight HQ. Of course, uh, got any questions, comments, leave those below. We'll get to those comments in the chat as well. So we appreciate it. And hopefully everyone has a great weekend.